We do actually work quite a lot with IMTA today. And I think this is an amazing way of using an area already designated for the aquaculture to to produce several species. And then you can again use the seaweed biomass that you produce using the resources coming from the salmon to produce again new feed. The circular bioeconomy is very strong in the, in, in using this, this principle. As long as you don't build it as the farm we have now, but let's see, hopefully this will be a very successful project and could be like a way for the new farms. And we will also see if the salmon actually is benefiting from the seaweed nearby. It could be, they're producing oxygen during the daytime and it could also be a reservoir for the salmon lice. So we are also investigating that now. So hopefully we will have some good results. Welcome to Inside Seaweed, the podcast looking deep into the seaweed industry through the stories of pioneers, entrepreneurs and innovators shaping up its future. My guest today is Celia Forbord, Research Manager at Sintef Ocean. Celia holds a PhD in cultivation of sugar kelp and has 15 years experience in seaweed cultivation. If you haven't come across Sintef Ocean yet, this is a, a research organization based in Norway, which has produced an astonishing amount of research in the seaweed space and also marine technology in general, in close collaboration with the industry. Before we dive into this uh, conversation, I wanted to let you know about the new Inside Seaweed newsletter. Uh, Would you like to get a super short email from me every month with three actionable insights for your seaweed business? I will search the seaweed industry for the most important lessons, the most useful conclusions and relevant actions condensed into a half page that I will share with you each month. It's really easy to sign up and just as easy to cancel. So if you'd like to give it a try, head over to InsightSeaweed.com. Now, please enjoy my conversation with Celia Forbert. Celia, welcome to Inside Seaweed. It's great to have you here. Thank you. You've been a researcher with Sintef for almost 15 years. You have a PhD in marine biology. Take me back to the moment in your career when you decided to become a researcher. Where and when was it? Well, it's, um, I think it's uh, many coincidence, perhaps. I grew up in the north of Norway by the beach. So I was always very interested in the ocean and was, was below the surface. So I think I always carried that with me. And, um, and I remember we had like a, a teacher that said he was a marine biologist that was uh, before we were going to apply for university. And I was like, wow, could you be a marine biologist? I was like, <laughs> <laughs> great. And I was uh, straightly interested in that and uh, applied for, um, yeah, the university here in Trondheim. Uh, and I took all the courses I needed to become a marine biologist. And um yeah, I didn't decide then for like the topic for my seaweed interest, but when it came to the time that I was going to choose uh, for uh, my master thesis, I met this really enthusiastic professor and he had this uh, really interesting project together with Sintef actually, and that was uh, 20 years ago now. And uh, they needed students to work with uh, 
yeah, monitoring seaweed over a full year. Um, and I was looking into the pigmentation in different kind of seaweeds. And uh, yeah, yeah, after that, I was like really <laughs> lost in the seaweed world. It was really interesting. When did you realize that seaweed had the potential to become something big, something important for the future? Well, actually, when I got the job at Sinta for like 15 years ago, we had then um, like a project together with um, Statoil, uh, which now is called Equinor, that they wanted to look at uh, using seaweed for biofuels. So um, I was then hired to Sintef since I had my background already in seaweed. And um, I was like, okay, we can use seaweed for more than, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think at that point I knew what people are, were using seaweed for other than that you saw it <laughs> at the beach. So uh, that was really interesting to see that you can actually use the seaweed for something more useful and yeah, um, yeah. commercial even. Yeah, but then um, that was, as I said, 15 years ago and uh, we still don't use seaweed for biofuels. I think uh, all the people interested in the biofuel then saw that, okay, this is perhaps too expensive at that time. So we had to have to use it for something else. Um, but now I think we're back a bit on the energy side of uh, of the seaweed, but perhaps more into food and feed and other commercial applications. Do you think the biofuel element of what can be done with seaweed, do you think that's still something that we're looking at for the future? Do you think it's still relevant? Yeah, it could be if we can use the other high value components in the seaweed for something else first. And then yeah. in a biorefinery thought, you, you use the rest of it for, for energy or biogas or something. So you will use the, the whole seaweed. So you, obviously you mentioned Sintef, you are research manager at Sintef Ocean. What is your team focusing on at the moment? Well, we had quite um, people in the group with a, a broad background. We, of course, mostly uh, biologists like me working with the cultivation. Uh, then we have uh, mathematicians looking more into the modeling, the numerical models uh, to see where we find the best cultivation locations and how much you can produce. And we have uh, product developers looking more into the, the upscaling and automating part of the, the future value chain of seaweed. So um, we're looking into quite many different aspects of the seaweed cultivation and seaweed technology. Who do you see as the most likely beneficiaries of the work that you and Sintef are doing? Is it mainly ocean farmers? Is it entrepreneurs, the supply chain in general, policymakers even? Who is mostly benefiting from, from your work? Well, hopefully it's uh, everyone that you mentioned now. But we work mostly with the seaweed industry in Norway, making solutions that they will need for their upscaling. So we, we do work in projects together with the industry, but we also do work with the stakeholders to look into, well, how you can use it and how much we will produce and the economy and the, you know, the, well, the benefits to do this. And I think during these 15 years, it's the interest in Norway and the rest of Europe and perhaps all the northern countries have become quite different than it was. 
we'll see a lot of uh, both research institutes, a lot of new industries uh, along the whole value chain of seaweed, not only the one producing the biomass, but also the one making the products, working more into the market side of it. So it's not just the the technology side of things. There's also an element of um, unit economics and the, the financial side of making seaweed work. Yeah, we do not work too much into uh, that uh, side of it. Uh, of course, we should also do that in the future because uh, to see if, uh, you know, it's is it sustainable? Can this be a new industry? Will someone actually use the, the biomass for something? Because we don't want to be in the, you know, people producing a lot of biomass and they have nowhere to deliver it. So the markets should be also built up simultaneously. So we need to look more into this, um, you know, the feed and as we mentioned, fuel, uh, bioplastics. So like where you need a lot of biomass, not only enough for producing or additives to, to food or to human consumptions. How could Sintef help addressing some of these issues and, 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 and also, you know, facilitating the development of some of these areas? We try to work at the areas where the industry need us to be. That's why we have a very close cooperation. And we also now are building up um, a research infrastructure for seaweed cultivation in Norway, where we are, uh, you know, this is not equipment that you can go and buy in the store. Hmm. So we need to invent it and build it and test it, uh, both for like the hatchery, and um, the sea farms, harvesting, you know, the whole value chain. And this is equipment that the industry then can come and use to test it, to see if, okay, is this something that they can use in their production? So we always want to be a step ahead to help the industry to succeed, because if we don't have a seaweed industry, you don't need a seaweed researcher either. So of course, we yeah. are closely connected. What are the some of the criteria that you take into account for deciding to research a certain technology or, or area versus another? Well, Sintef do not have like a, a funding our own. We do all on contract research. So we okay. then again need to apply together with industry for the funding from different um, like the Norwegian Research Council. And it's quite hard competition about this research money. So even though you have a great idea together with the industry, you need to make a great application. And then after like almost half a year or something, you will get to notice if you get it or not. And if you don't get it, you have to start all over again, trying to find another funding for your project. So, and sometimes the industry is paying themselves, but for the seaweed industry, most of the like new companies and farmers, they do not have like the the money to invest in such a research project their own. So we are basically like we need these um, national research councils to help us to do the the right <laughs> the right yeah. research. So when when the industry doesn't have the money to explore some of these areas, some of these technologies, uh, where does the money come from? Is it are we talking about grants and funding from national institutions? Yeah, it's funding for uh, from uh, yeah, the Norwegian, as I said, the Norwegian Research Council. 
So that's like the from the the government basically. And there's a lot of competition for it. Yes, a lot of competition. And of course, some of the biggest um, seaweed industry companies they have um, investors. But I think they, uh, yeah, they have worked really hard to get where they are now, and uh, basically none of them are earning a lot of money. So that is mm. uh, something that uh, that is a bit hard for the seaweed industry in Norway because they need to get the volumes up to get some of the the other industry to be interested in receiving the biomass, like the fish uh, feed companies, for instance. What what is the missing link? You said essentially none of them are profitable at the moment. What is the missing link to get there? Is it is it volume? Yeah, and it's uh, the cost in the personnel working with the seaweed because it's not automated yet. It's a lot of um, you need a lot of people in the whole process by making the seedlings, deploying it, the harvesting. Everything is done by hand, so we need also to make yeah to make an industry out of it and make it automated. So you will have less people there and can handle bigger volumes because this is the, you have like really large volumes that need to be harvested within a few weeks on this in the summer. And then you need some uh, like a factory or something somewhere to deliver it to. And they also need to either freeze it or store it in some other way to dry it, which is also quite expensive at the moment. So we have great challenges uh, in all the parts in the value chain. So uh, it's difficult to point at one or two bottlenecks. Of course, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. But in general, if I understand what you're saying correctly, we would want more volume and less cost. Yes. I don't know if there anything comes to mind, but is there any finding from your research projects that you wish more people paid attention to? Something that maybe came out from your work that you think has been glossed over or maybe hasn't had the impact that you expected for whatever reason, uh, but you actually think it's important? Well, nothing special that comes in mind. We are, uh, but I think um, okay. finding like the good location could be like a, um, one of the key to producing a lot of biomass because we have a really long coastline in Norway. So what you then do in the southern, western coast of Norway could be difficult to compare to the farmers in the north of Norway because they have quite different like water temperature and um, yeah, it could be. So it's very large differences between the different locations and it's quite difficult now to get a new license to cultivate seaweed and to find the right locations. I think we need to be more specific about that. So when you first apply for a license, this needs to be a really good location for your for your seaweed. So mm -hmm. I think uh, you should pay a lot of attention to finding that right spot before you start to do your the upscaling of your seaweed cultivation. Why is that important? It, it, does it directly affect the, the yield? Yeah and the quality if you have a well if you have a farm that you have freshwater runoff during the springtime the seaweed will not handle that very very well and you will have uh, less biomass and perhaps another chemical content that you would like to have yeah so we are trying to find like the the optimal location for seaweed 
to taking all these abiotic factors into consideration, the current, the nutrients, the salinity, water temperature. Does Sintef provide any educational and training opportunities for people looking to start seaweed farming? I'm thinking particularly when linked to what you just said, you know, the importance of, for example, picking the right site. Does the Sintef provide any, any sort of support in that sense? We are a part of this Norwegian Seaweed Association, and uh, we are trying then to, to share our knowledge uh, by having presentations and uh, joining meetings. And uh, so nothing that we are doing are any secrets, but um, we did have courses back in the old days. But uh, it's not very many new farmers that need course, so it was a lot of work. I see. But it's more of an ongoing, uh, more of an ongoing relationship and, and dialogue. Yes, sure. Yeah. And we also have some courses at the university for students. And we do also supervise master students and have them together with us in project and also PhDs. I see. So we think that educating people that can work in the seaweed industry in Norway later will be very beneficial. Look, I, w- I want to go back for a second to the importance of the site, particularly when it comes to choosing either a coastal site, you were talking about the, the coast of Norway and how it sort of varied, but also offshore. So in a nutshell, how, how does coastal seaweed farming differ from offshore seaweed farming in terms of I suppose the quality of the site and its potential for scaling up the industry as a whole. It's difficult to find available space along the coast of Norway. We have a lot of salmon farming and um, it's also a lot of area that is occupied by the military and also this uh, natural, uh, I don't know what you call them. Like protected areas and yeah, that sort of stuff. protected area. And then, yeah. um, so... So it's a bit difficult to find good available space in Norway, even though we have this really long coastline. But it's then easier to have a coastal site if you find one that is a bit exposed and have good current, so you know that your seaweed will uh, grow. But then if you go offshore, we have done a lot of, um, like I said, we do like models, numerical models to see where you find the best uh, growth of the seaweed. Mm-hmm. And we see that offshore do give better growth. And this is perhaps especially in Norway because we have quite nutrient-rich deep water and you have a lot of current so that deep water will then come to the surface and um, and give the, the seaweed the nutrient that is needed. But then again, we have greater costs in going offshore due to the, the mooring of the farm and the distance from the coast if we're going to monitor it. Yeah. So it's a bit, um, if in the future we can use, for example, these oil rigs that is not in use anymore, perhaps attach the seaweed there or the wind farms, windmill farms, that is something that can be looked into, co-locate different kind of industries together in one area. Do you see offshore farming as more in need for uh, innovation and new, new technologies? Or is this 50-50? Yeah, I think we I think the it's the upscaling of the farm that is perhaps now the biggest issue and not perhaps yeah. the sites. So of course if you're going offshore you need a more uh, a farm that can stand the, you know all the forces uh, out there. 
But I right. think to okay. now to install a farm that you can deploy your seed lines in a, a few days or a few weeks and, and to be able to harvest it also quite fast, that will be an advantage now. And of course, a farm that can um, can be reused, for example, for the sustainability of it. And um, yeah, so I think it's um, it's important to find the right farm structure, but it also need to be a bit uh, adapted to the type of site where you're going to. Yeah, but in general, upscaling is, you, me- you mentioned upscaling yeah. a few times now, and it sounds like that is really where the innovation needs to focus on. And of course, we're all keen to see the seaweed industry have a meaningful impact and, and this will require scaling up in a way that is both sustainable and economically viable. We mm. talked about that earlier. If you, if you could summarize what needs to happen for the seaweed industry to upscale, what would be like a bullet point? These are the things that we need to research, that we need to innovate mm-hmm. on. These are the things that we need to sort out to mm. achieve upscaling. Uh, we do need to have a high quality seedlings to deploy out in the sea. So the the hatchery or the land phase of it is also quite important. We didn't talk too much about that yet, but it's different kind of methods to produce that seedlings, which is in use today. So the one method is to produce the um, a twine in your laboratory, which need to be incubated for, yeah, could be four to six weeks, which is also quite energy demanding. But then, you know, you can have high quality seedlings and you know what you are deploying. But then you need technology to entwine that (laughs) the line or the twine over to a thicker rope before you deploy it. And when you say technology, you're you're thinking about some sort of automation to yeah. make that process non-manual. Yeah. Machines, and we have those machines today, and uh, but they are not perhaps suited for the big upscaling that we are talking about. If we're going to reach this eight million tons per 2030 in Europe, we need to look into more advanced machines. The industry is working very hard to try to be able to upscale and have a high quality seedlings to deploy. So that is like the first, uh, you know, bottleneck or bullet point that needs to be. So you need to have have enough material to deploy. And then, of course, is the finding the right location and then to do some monitoring along the way, because the same as a fish farmer needs to know how much biomass he has out in the sea. A seaweed farmer also need to know how much biomass he will have to harvest and because he also wants to sell it to someone. So uh, to find some um, sensors or something that can monitor the, the growth during the, the season. Okay. And you, you see this as an area that needs, um, I was going to say expanding, but uh, developing is maybe a better a better word. Yeah. And we have a lot of these sensors for, as I said, the aquaculture industry in Norway already is to try to adapt it to this new biomass and, of course, find other type of uh, sensors that could be used in a, like, you know, to to get more control of your, of the, during the season, the growth season, how much will you have? And, and of course, when does the seaweed start to get fold? 
because you have all these other organisms growing onto the seaweed. And this is especially more crucial during or towards the summer. So you need, when you first start to see these small uh, colonies growing onto your seaweed, you need to harvest quite fast. So also to have some kind of monitoring of when does this happen, because this can vary a bit from year to year, and that you know that, okay, we have to go out and harvesting our seaweed now before it's getting too, too fold, especially if you want to use it for human consumption. You sound quite positive about this. You're, you're saying some of the technology are already here. You know, do you, do you think we're not far off? Do you think we're going to be able to pull it off in the next <laughs> few years? Well, I think we were very positive 10 years ago as well. And uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. but uh, we have come a long way. And if you see what we had like for the seaweed industry in Europe 10 years ago, and now it's a huge difference. But I, okay. I think perhaps we thought that we have come further than we have at the moment. But as I said, there's a lot of research going on on all the different steps in the value chain. And I think in another five years, a lot of this will has to be solved is if this is going to be an industry. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, you might not have an idea, but wh why do you think it hasn't progressed as much as we would have expected 10 years ago? It's the costs. I think if we had the money for it, we have been solving a lot of these bottlenecks already. Because it's, as I said, it's a long wait to get the research money. The investors is not there. So I think um, we always have to choose which of the problems or challenges we need to, to deal with first. Yeah. So I think if we, if all the, you know, research institutes and all the companies will have like <laughs> all the money in the world, this will be solved in a few years. Yeah. And you think this is partly due to the fact that is there is not much money in seaweed at the moment? Yeah, but in Norway, we do have a quite um, a, a seaweed industry already from the wild harvest, you know, the so from the, so we have companies in Norway earning quite a lot of money on seaweed already. But this is, as I said, this is the wild harvest of, uh, of kelp. Mm. And this is a really high valuable components in the seaweed. And now we are looking more into using everything inside the seaweed, like the proteins and the antioxidants and the, to see if we can... Uh, not to waste, you know, by taking out only one components and then throw the rest away as they do with the wild harvest. Definitely. And extract as much value as possible, which would again make more money for lack of a better expression. Thanks for that. You, is there any area of the seaweed industry that you feel we're not paying enough attention to? Something that maybe is underrated? Mm, it could be perhaps the, the market side of it. Okay. You know, in uh, in Asia, this is uh, common food. You know, they they eat seaweed every day in a lot of coastal communities, and most, uh, you know, they are harvesting around thirty five million tons each year worldwide, and almost everything is in Asia, and a lot of this, over half of this, is going to human consumption. So they, for them, this is a natural natural part of the the diet. But in Norway and I guess the rest of Europe and perhaps in North America, this is not yeah. like a natural part of uh, yeah, what you eat. And a part of this in Norway is um, 
due to the high iodine content in the brown algae at least. So the Norwegian Food Safety Authority, they are quite strict about what you can sell and how much people can eat. So this is also being looked into to find a way to 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 sell products with less iodine in it. And uh, but it's also had to do with people are not used to the taste of seaweed. And even though you can buy some snack products today and you can like some spices and just to add it, people are not like eating, <laughs> eating it uh, like so eating it yeah, too it's much. Not enough to, no, yeah, it's not enough. Not enough to move the needle. Yeah. Yeah. So so perhaps developing the market is something that has been overlooked, you think? Yeah, and also if you want to use it for like a totally new market, you need to be able to deliver quite a, a stable product year round. And now you you have one harvesting season and then um, you need to find a way to store and preserve that. And that is also quite a, a challenging at the moment. So as long as we, if we'll have a stable biomass that can be provided year round to the industry with a known chemical content, I think there will be more interest in trying to use the, use it in, for example, the fish feed industry or other feed industries. What needs to change to do that, to get to get the sort of the the sort of constant supply? Yeah, it's um, we need to figure out a cheap way to to store the seaweed because we can only harvest once a year. So there's no no way around that thing. You, in the Faroe Islands, they have a bit of other conditions in the ocean. So then they can like um, cut the seaweed and uh, harvest a, a few more times at least than in Norway. But the seaweed will grow during the cold temperature with high nutrient and during the summer it will not grow anything. So this is the the natural cycle of the seaweed. Yeah, just how it is. So yeah, but you can cultivate, of course, other species. I have been talking a lot about kelp cultivation now, but if you move a bit more into other type of species like the green algae, sea lettuce, yeah. this can be cultivated on land in tanks and perhaps connected also to salmon farms on land with very high nutrient-rich wastewater that can go into the seaweed tanks. So this is something that I hope we can investigate or look more into in the in the future, because then you can provide uh, fresh material the whole year to, yeah, for example, the feed industry. This is really interesting. Yeah. Uh, so you see the sea the the sea lettuce as something that could come into become an ingredient for human consumption and animal feed. Yeah, I think it can be used to use for. Um, many different applications okay um both human consumption and feed and also to extract proteins a bit it's a bit higher in proteins than the the kelp species interesting and we could also of course look more into the red red algae species which is also a bit higher in the market price than the other species so um, due to the high protein content and it's very good taste they call it like the one red algae, they call it the bacon of the sea. So <laughs> it's a big market for that for vegetarians, perhaps. So diversifying is definitely key, you think, for, for the future? Yeah, I think we should look into more species simultaneously and not put all the money inside the only the sea, the sea farms. But of course, 
the sea farms is where you can produce the highest amount of biomass. So that can provide for like for for the feed industry, for instance. Could some of these species be farmed in the in normal, you know, traditional seaweed farms? For the other species? Yeah. 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 They can. And we have tried that one. And also in Sweden, they produce the sea lettuce in the sea farm with great success. So okay. it can be done. Absolutely. Okay. That's, pr- that's very promising. Yeah. Oh, yes. I was jumping around because you mentioned Asia, uh, which is a very interesting, interesting point. Of course, like you said, the vast majority of global seaweed production comes from Asia. The industry is very established over there. In your opinion, and maybe you've already answered this, so apologies. But in your opinion, what can we learn from Asia? They have done a lot of breeding, for instance, to make the quality of the seaweed quite high and have a um, yeah, high growth rate and uh, the content that could be beneficial for the, the industry that you want to deliver it to. But um, as in Norway, at this point, we are not allowed to do breeding on seaweed because uh, this is a bit too new and unknown. So um, I think in the future, when we you know that we can do this in a sensible way, I think we should look more into the breeding of it to, to be able to produce more biomass than we can today. Is that similar to what agriculture has been doing for thousands of years? Yes. And we should learn and not perhaps do the same mistake that they have done for some species, but, uh, and also not trying to move, you know, populations along the coast, but always work with the local strains. I think that is quite important. Of course. Yeah. Thanks for that. Do you, do you feel there is enough collaboration between the seaweed industry over in Asia and the West? I don't think it's uh, too much collaboration but we have good connections there no i'm always only talking about uh, our relationship with the with the asian uh, industry but that's more with um research institutes but a lot of things that are published are in for example chinese so it's not very accessible but uh, we do have a collaboration research project together with um, some asian um, well research organizations looking into this safety of eating seaweed with the iodine and the arsenic content. So, but I think, uh, yeah, we should have more, more collaboration and learn more from them. And I think also they, when we are, have been coming further with the technology development, it could be also something that could be beneficial for their industry because it's all very manual today. Why do you think there isn't? so much uh, collaboration. There seems to be this sort of invisible barrier between the seaweed industry as it is in Europe and North America versus, you know, and and the seaweed industry in Asia. There's, there seems to be this sort of separation. Have you got any explanation as to why that that is? It could, well, it could simply be the, the, the language barrier? Could be, yeah, could be. And uh, also remember from a conference that I attended that we we in the West were always talking about this new industry and like we are inventing this and one guy from Asia said that okay but we have been doing this for quite a long time now it's nothing new and we know a lot of the answers so I think we could also be trying to invent the wheel all over again I don't know 
It feels a bit like that, doesn't it? <laughs> and 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 if we are trying to scale up quickly, that's the last thing you want to do. Yes, we should absolutely learn from them. But then also, we cannot do things the same way that they are doing it because uh, we don't have that, uh, you know, cheap labor and. Um, yeah. And we do not have access to all the areas that they they have filled, like the whole bay with the place I was visiting there with seaweeds. And um, people are having this or families are having this as a as an income, a way of income to like farming this uh, small area. In Norway, we do, do not have the same interest for this, uh, like in general. Let's switch gear completely. Uh, I was going to ask you about this year Seagriculture Conference Europe, which will take place in Norway, in the city of Trondheim on June 21st and 22nd. We talked about Asia. Uh, now, what should the European and global seaweed industry learn from the Norwegian experience? I think that Nor yeah, Norway, we have a very long tradition with aquaculture already, and we have quite a lot of knowledge that can be used now for the seaweed industry. So both in operating the farms, doing the technology development, and also with a long tradition in using seaweed, actually, but per perhaps not in the in the scale that we are talking now. But um, but we also do have very good cooperation with a lot of uh, companies and research industries in Europe. So we're very nice together here in Trondheim. Are you going to be at the conference? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Sintep is the event sponsor and um, I'm helping a bit with organizing some of the events that is going on. So, and uh, Sintep is also having one of the keynote speakers, my colleague, Ole Jakob Brock. We will have a really nice presentation for during one of the days. Can you give the audience a, a quick teaser of what, what the presentation is going to be? Or what, what topics they're going to cover? I guess he will talk about this uh, technology development, uh -huh. which is very important for uh, the work we are doing and the cultivation potential in Norway and elsewhere in Europe. And he will, I think, um, talk a lot about how the kelp cultivation will affect the surrounding environment, for example, the nitrogen uptake and also how it will affect the climate to look more into the carbon uptake. So I think this is going to be really interesting. Yeah, I'm lo looking forward to that. What would make uh, the conference successful from your point of view? What would make it special in your mind? Well, I hope that people are coming because uh, I think this is going to be a great great event to to gather all the the seaweed uh, enthusiasts in yeah. not only Europe hope that people from other parts of the world are also coming and yeah. uh, the summer in Trondheim is really nice and I hope that people can network here and um, have some new friendship and uh, have some new ideas for research projects and meet new seaweed friends coming back to your work as a researcher when do you think it makes sense? And, and you can interpret this in whichever way you like. It could be technically, financially, environmentally. When does it make sense to adopt IMTA, Integrated Multitrophic Aquaculture? Well, we do actually work quite a lot with IMTA today. And I think this is an amazing way of using an area already, well, 
designated or for the aquaculture to to produce several species and then you can again use the seaweed biomass that you produced producing using the you know the resources coming from the salmon to produce again new feed so it's a very like the circular bioeconomy is very strong in the in, in using this uh, this principle yeah you, you you mentioned earlier uh that it's difficult in norway despite the very long and varied uh coastline it's difficult to find a space for seaweed farming but then you also said that there are a lot of salmon farms so is there an argument to say that actually all of those fa- salmon farms could and should integrate with seaweed farming yeah that would be great if uh, at least half of them could have some seaweed farming additional to the the salmon but uh, like today they are earning a lot of money on their salmon and and so they don't need like the additional biomass for the economy side of it but for the the an, an, an environmental driver yeah for the environmental part this is something that we are investigating now in a bit more larger scale than we have done before uh, earlier we have had like some uh, ropes with seaweed close to the fish farm but the farm that we are working on now in the north of norway this is designed for the co-cultivation of those two species so then you have salmon on like four cages on each side of the farm and you have 16 cages in the middle of the farm for sugar kelp cultivation and then you will have the nutrients coming from the fish well no matter how the direction of the current is going towards or through the farm so we will now we deployed the last of the seaweed in february so last uh, yeah this year and we will now follow it up closely to see how well the seaweed will grow inside the, the farm compared to a reference station. And this is actually a concession given from the Directorate of Fisheries for us to see if we can use a fish farm to co-cultivate several species. So this will last over seven years, I think. And it's also open for um, other industry to, to do their research in that farm. So this is a part of a national research infrastructure. Really interesting. It sounds like the environmental driver is probably the main sort of aspect at play here, at least when it comes to salmon farming, adopting IMTA and adding seaweed. First of all, I wanted to ask you, what, what, what do you think roughly would be the percentage now of, in Norway, of seaweed, sorry, of salmon farms uh, having seaweed as an integrated crop i think we are we talking one percent or yeah this is uh far in the future as long as they don't need to do it i don't think they're going to do this um, because uh, we need to to special to to build a farm for this purpose because they have like large vessels coming into the farm so you don't have to come in the way of the normal uh, i see i see operations daily operations do you think it might come down to legislation policy? Yeah, that yeah, that could be. Let's let's consider the opposite situation. Uh, obviously, there are, and I'm I'm looking, you know, at Northern Europe uh, here in the UK, for example, uh, and in Norway, there are new seaweed farms going in the water, and as you said, one of the major difficulties that these companies and and you know projects are facing are 
making this economically viable. So is there an argument for every seaweed farm or many seaweed farms going into the water today to actually consider IMTA and, and integrating seaweed farming with salmon farming, mussels, oysters and clams and, and so on to A, diversify and also bring more income streams. Is that a no-brainer? Am, am I oversimplifying this? <laughs> well, it's, um, it's uh, yeah, it's not straightforward because um, it's... Um, the seaweed will take up the nutrients uh, no matter how far they are from the salmon farm. Uh, so if they are, the salmon will, of course, uh, release nutrients that the seaweed can grow from. If you're looking at only for the, um, for the seaweed to take up the nutrients, the seaweed can be anywhere. So I think this is mostly relevant for the, the area to co-locate and use the same area. And um, yeah, so I, this is a it's a bit complicated. I think people have tried and not succeeded very much with it. So, but that's why I hope this project will see that okay, you can actually use the seaweed for something after and something that you can earn money on together with the salmon, and then you will have the um, environmental aspect of it as well. But you need quite a lot of seaweed nearby to take up all the nutrients coming from the fish. So I don't know how much you can take up, but then you need to have a big, big area of seaweed around the fish farm. And then all this daily operation is quite difficult for the fish farmers to handle. Okay. Just in, in a logistic sense, it'll be literally in the way. Yeah, as long as you don't build it as the farm we have now. But let's see how uh, hopefully this will be a very successful project and could be like a way for for the new farms, which is uh, installed, that they can consider to have more than one species. And I think that is very good for the environment and for also, as I said, the um, uh, circular bioeconomy, if you can use that seaweed back again for the salmon. And we will also see if the salmon actually is bene benefiting from the seaweed nearby. It could be they are producing oxygen during the daytime and it could also be a reservoir for the salmon lice and some other. Yeah. So we are also investigating that now. So hopefully we'll have some good results. Now, all the best with that. You know, it sounds like it could provide the blueprint for a new type of seaweed farms for the future. Hope so. Okay. I've, I've got one last quick question to close uh, our conversation off, which is, I just want to leave you with this, with this sort of, Hypothetical question. If you could pick anything, what would you like your next paper to be about? Wow. <laughs> that was uh, <laughs> the difficult questions. Could be anything at all. Well. Because you, you, you talked about, obviously, the research having to follow the funding. Mm. Right. And the criteria being, well, yeah, it needs to, it needs to be funded. So if, if money was no object, if, if you didn't need the funding, what would you research? Of course, it's all uh, connected with uh, the upscaling. So I think, the, as I said, the technology development, finding like um, an automated solution for all the, the manual steps in the during the seaweed cultivation for us to upscale without having to have massively uh, big areas or hatcheries or so uh, this could be like the more more and more like the agriculture, perhaps to have specialized machineries for doing the certain steps in the cultivation process. Thanks. Very interesting. 
Celia, I'm looking at time and uh, we should probably start to wrap this up. Is there anything else you would like to add that maybe we haven't covered? Any message for the audience, any sort of final thought or call to action? I think it's important that we start to utilize the ocean more than we do today. Or today we only like 2% of what we are eating is coming from the ocean. And I uh, think we need to, to while well, by cultivating and harvesting further down in the, in the food chain, we can utilize the ocean much more in a sustainable way. And this is a way to feed like the growing population. Which is, which is such a relevant problem. Thanks for that. And, you know, thank you very much for making the time. It's been a very educational hour or so. Uh, I took a lot of notes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 you know, and, and thanks again for the work that you and your team are doing. All the, all the very best for the future. I will no doubt see you at the Cigriculture uh, Europe on June 21st. Yeah, you will be there. Yes, I will. So I'll, I'll no doubt see you there. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you guys for listening. I'm Fed and I'll see you next time. Thank you.